Hi, welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. My name is Link, and today I'm joined by David Samansky, creator of Dusk, contributor to Dread XP and Gloomwood, the upcoming Iron Lung, and several other self-published and developed games. Hi, David. How are you doing today? Hello. Good. Well, that's great to hear. So, David, thank you so much for, for making the time to talk with me today. I'm you know, always appreciative when I can steal time from people. And before we get started, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself for those that might not know who you are? Yeah, well, um, I'm a game developer, obviously. Um, I live in rural Pennsylvania, which explains a lot about, um, well, Dusk, I suppose, specifically, uh, which is set in rural Pennsylvania. Um, let's see, I, uh, I do a whole bunch of stuff, actually. Um, you know, the main one being game development. I also do a bit of writing, um, and I, uh, compose. I actually have a, my degree is actually in music, uh, not in anything related to anything that I'm doing. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how far, how much of my life story we really want to get into. That's about the, the most relevant bits, I think. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, why don't we see where we go? Because, you know, we might land into some young and old and everywhere in between, you know? Okay. Um, you mean just just as far as, like, um, who I am outside of the game development? Or, yeah, yeah, or... definitely. Or, or you know, whatever else we, we stumble across, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I don't. Uh, let's see. I'm I'm one of those one of those uh workaholic type people, I guess you could say. Um, I wasn't back when I had jobs that were stupid. Uh, when I when I worked at Dollar General or worked at a car wash, I didn't really care that much about doing work. But I've always been really obsessive about creative projects. Um, when I was younger, uh, well, younger isn't like adolescent age. You know, I was always like writing stories of some sort or programming or writing music or stuff like that. It was like, that's, that's kind of what I did in my spare time uh, other than exploring outside or gaming. Um, and that's kind of continued. Like I, my, you know, my life kind of focuses a, around um, creative projects mostly. If I'm not working on a game or something like that and I'm, you know, quote unquote, taking a break. Uh, usually, that means I'm working on something else uh, that's less of a real job, maybe like uh, writing, you know, writing an album or something like that. Um, so I think having a family helps keep me from just becoming a complete, like, uh, you know, just a just a complete sort of like John Carmack, you know, a recluse. Well, he's not really a recluse, but you know, just like having my uh, entire day be nothing but this stuff. Um, I have a wife and two kids, and so I kind of have to. Uh, I'm kind of forced to take time to do things that aren't making games, which is very healthy, I think. Yes, I would not disagree with that statement. Um, uh, the the way you said it there had me worried for a moment that you were. You were uh, uh, almost inferring that you would much prefer to be doing that, but it's, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, no. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was going to say, I'm presuming that was just a oddity in how I was interpreting things and not what the in real intent was. Yeah, no, it's, it's very good that I'm forced to not just, not just work on stuff all day. Uh, I don't think it's. I I had the ability to do that more so before um uh before my wife and I had kids and I don't think it was good for my mental health uh at all. It was pro- it was good for um you know productivity for making a lot of games but uh I don't think I was very happy um yeah, you know and I I think a lot of people can relate to that cuz realistically uh having some form of work-life balance and, and, you know, being able to do things that, while you may enjoy, 
uh, also being able to do other things you enjoy and not, I don't use this negatively in, you know, the, the exact sense here, but becoming obsessed with doing something, uh, you know, sometimes isn't the healthiest thing, which I think you kind of alluded yeah. to with the mental health and such statement. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to note that looking at what you've contributed to, what you've worked on, you know, the, the personal projects or self-published or however you want to phrase that, uh, your contributions mm -hmm. to Dread, uh, the Dread series, collections or what have you, uh, it, it doesn't, sh you know, it doesn't surprise me to hear that you've, you know, that you, you put a lot of time in just because, you know, there's, you have a, a, a there's a, there's a, a, a catalog that speaks, speaks to it. Um, yeah, I've worked on a lot of games. Yeah. I think I, I think last count, um, right now there's 14 on Steam that I've been involved with directly. Um, and then stuff I did before Steam that doesn't, isn't really relevant. Um, so yeah, and that's, uh, since, uh, what, like 2014, 20, 2014, I think is when I sort of officially became a professional, uh, professional game developer by virtue of actually making money at what I was doing instead of it just kind of being a waste of time. Fair. I, I, yes, I know exactly where you're going from, you know, where you, you kind of get that, that, the. Uh the 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 letterman jacket or or what have you right mm -hmm. yeah now you said you know you started that you know several years back uh, you know when it became official so to say uh would you mind touching on how it is or what it is that got you into developing and making those games uh let's see so are uh do you mean developing and making games in general or just the like the horror games that I, that I like started my professional career with, or like, because they're both they're both different. They're different. Well, <laughs> I I think whichever you feel the most comfortable sharing, I suppose. Uh, well, I can do both. So I started uh, game development when I was um, I was a young teenager. Uh, maybe even young, not even really a teenager yet. It started out um in grade school, actually. So so yeah, not I. It started in grade school with um me being obsessed with Mist, and um Mist was made on this. It was made using this program called um HyperCard, which was sort of this old version of this old you know presentation software, sort of like PowerPoint. Um, and in school, this is when I was in public school after, uh, in, um, high school years, I, I was homeschooled, uh, but for elementary school, I was in public school and we were using, uh, or not using, we were learning how to use, uh, Hyper Studio, which is sort of, uh, sort of the same thing. It was, you know, a similar version and it just sort of came to me one day. I'm like, wait a second, I could make my own game that's like mist because i love mist that would be awesome um and i did that and unfortunately that game's lost now um it i'm it, it would be really cool to go back and see what it's like but it, you know i mean it was garbage uh, and it's gone now <laughs> but um and that is what sort of got me into this state of mind of being like i can make this stuff you know instead of just like playing the games being like oh there it's possible for me to kind of make things like that and then i pursued learning how to actually program i started with microsoft q basic uh which is not a very powerful programming language at all um but i made a couple made a couple games with that uh which you can actually play um in uh, if you buy dusk 82 those games are included with it uh with like dosbox you know, like all wrapped up to run. Uh, if anyone wants to <laughs> wants to take a look at those, um, and then I sort of just drifted away from it, I guess. But when I got into like going to college uh, or, or into later years of high school and like going to college, um, and then I discovered Game Maker in college, and I. Uh, let's see, how did this 
ago. I think, yeah, I think it was that um, I discovered Game Maker and simultaneously I was introduced to Stalker and I really was like, I was I was really into Stalker. I'm still really into Stalker, but like <laughs> I was I was just amazed at like the atmosphere and the whole dynamicism of the world and stuff like that. And I tried making my own sort of Stalker-ish game in Game Maker, um, which you can also play. That's actually I think on my itch uh, page, um, and it's not very good either. But uh, after that, I made a bunch of Game Maker games, um, and uh, throughout, you know, all this time, it was always just a hobby, and I thought maybe someday in the future it'd be cool to make, like, a bigger game, but, you know, I kn indie games were not really a, they weren't really a thing. Um, you didn't make money making indie games. You, you know, you made them and you uploaded them to, like, Newgrounds or Yo-Yo uh, Games or, you know, whatever, and... Uh, you you hope that maybe somebody would play them, and that's kind of the best that you were gonna get. Um, but then that changed, obviously, uh, around 2012 ish, 2013. Well, it was around 2012 or 2011 or so. Um, I think that's when the whole Xbox Live thing started picking up steam, right? But then by the time we got to like uh, 2014, you know, Greenlight was a thing, and I was out of college, I'd sort of, I'd finished my degree, but not, not, uh, not gone on to pursue what I thought I was going to do, which was, I thought I was going to be a music professor, and then compose on the side, and I discovered in college that I hated college, <laughs> um, and so I had no desire to spend the rest of my life in college <laughs> um so i you know uh got married and moved back home and well not back home moved back to my hometown um and kind of didn't know what i was gonna do at that point i was working part-time at the local car wash um and then at some point that turned into working part-time at uh somewhat less local dollar general um but i discovered unity unity was sort of like picking up steam and to learn unity i decided to make this game called fingerbones and that came about it was sort of a long time coming the stuff that i made like in game maker was usually very arcadey very like gameplay focused um not very story driven but i'd started thinking a lot about narrative in games and horror in games and i'd never made a horror game before this point um and i was really struck by in particular by this game uh called scratches which is a oldish um point and click adventure from like uh, i want to say maybe 2009 or it had to have been no i think it was earlier than that but it's you know it's like a horror point and click adventure and i played it and was really struck by how it was like scary but it was scary not because you were getting chased by stuff or there were monsters everywhere. It was scary just because of, like, the narrative that was happening. And that was really fascinating to me. And I wanted to try doing something like that. Um, which doesn't sound all that unique now. Because now there have been a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of horror games that do that same thing. But at the time, there wasn't really that. This is when, like, you know, Slender was the big thing. Amnesia and Slender were, you know, it jump-started the, the horror Let's Plays. Um, and so my, you know, big idea was I'm like, I want to make a horror game that there's, like, no threat. And uh, that's that's uh, that's what resulted in Fingerbones. And Fingerbones, I figured I would upload to um, it was Game Jolt. Uh, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to upload it there, and maybe, like, ten people will play it as usual, and you know, if I'm really lucky, maybe it'll take off. So I uploaded it, and I went to sleep, and the next morning I woke up, and it was, like, featured on the front page. I still don't know why they did that. They were, like, really impressed with it, um, which becomes weirder and weirder to me the further out I get from making finger bones. <laughs> like, they were really impressed with the game, um, and actually got, like, a message from 
Game Jolt being like, hey, thank you for uploading Fingerbones to Game Jolt, and here's, you know, it's all featured and stuff. Um, so it was featured on the front page, and a ton of people played it, and a bunch of people did Let's Plays of it also. Um, and that's when I was like, wait, maybe, you know, this took off. What if I can make another game like this and actually charge money for it? At that point, I wasn't thinking of putting it on Steam, because that was just like... You know, I couldn't imagine that actually working. Um, I just made it to put on itch, and I did that. I put that was the moon sliver. Made that. I put it on itch. I earned like some money, which is you know infinitely more than I'd ever earned making games, and it was like shocking at that point that people actually bought the game. Um, and then when the time, you know, I was I was just sort of like, ah, what if I what if I put it on green light? And I put it on green light, and it sort of languished on green light for a while, and I pushed it and thought, ah, this is never going to work. And then one day I woke up, and I'd gotten greenlit, so I could sell it on Steam. Um, which, again, like it was, uh, it, it's crazy how quick this stuff changes. At the, you know, at the time that was like huge, like oh my gosh, I could get on Steam. This is just when the concept of the indie apocalypse was starting to bubble up in everyone's mind. Um, when the floodgates were starting to be opened. Um, so I put that on Steam. I had this really lucky mistake happen when I released it where... How did this work? I, like, released it and had it discounted, as you do. Um, and then I saw that the Halloween sale was coming up soon. So I'm like, oh, I'll just add it to the Halloween sale also. And I think, if I remember correctly, what ended up happening is that it sort of stacked the discounts... So the game ended be up being discounted for a ton. Uh, it was like, I think, less than a dollar or something. And somehow, it, because of how the Halloween sale worked, um, enough people bought it that then it was, like, sort of visible on the front page. Uh, not, like, you know, big feature or anything, but it was like you could see it on the front page somewhere, so then a bunch more people bought it because it was really cheap. Um, so basically, I ended up having this huge influx of people buying the game. Um, it wasn't actually that huge amount of money now, like thinking about it now. But for at that point, it was like it was like quit my job money. I, I think I earned ended up earning like five thousand dollars in a week or something like that, and ten thousand dollars in the first payout, which you know not that much. But living in rural Pennsylvania working part-time at Dollar General, that was like, holy crap, this is more money than I've ever, you know, ever had at once in my life. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the games came after that, essentially, uh, to make a, to make a long story long. That's how I got into game development. Well, and, you know, that's, that's really amusing, just the, the, the amount, like, the, the, the luck, so to say, mm -hmm. of, accidentally yep. pricing your game into such a place where it drew a bunch of attention from um you know well one that it, it lucked out right before like a horror game lucked out right before halloween um yeah. through the green light process which for anyone that doesn't know you touched on it but that was right around the time that steam was like okay screw it you know we're not gonna deal with you know you having to be big publishers you can just We'll we'll let people vote on it, and you know, like kind of like a Kickstarter, but mm -hmm. the you know the community got to say yes or no, and they they pay, bought in with votes or whatever. Um, yeah. But like just the amount of luck to have get greenlit right before a Steam sale or a, a mini Steam sale, and then accidentally price it at such a place or a point where it was you know, and I don't mean this in any of you know, disrespect, but at uh, such a price point that a lot of people would be like, oh, screw it, I'll give it a shot, you know? Yeah. And then to, to for it to be successful enough, as you said, to look at a part-time job and go, well, screw this, I don't, I don't need to deal with this anymore, or at least take <laughs> yeah. a break from said part-time work and see, you know, if, if it's a thing that will work in your favor, right? Yeah. And honest, like, the luck continued after that. Uh, it's, that's, the that's the thing and i th it seems like it's any any creative industry there's always a hefty luck element involved um and the only way you can kind of manipulate that in your favor is just persistence um 
you know, you, there's you're gonna have to get lucky at some point, and the more you, you know, the more you try, the more likely you're gonna roll the dice, and you're gonna you're gonna get lucky. Um, like after that, I did uh, the music machine, which is probably still the best of the uh, of the the narrative driven horror games that I did before Dusk. Um, and I figured in my in my naivete, I was like, okay, the moon sliver did this well i'm gonna make the music machine which is gonna be bigger and better and cost more money so i'm gonna make a ton more money off of it um and that's not quite how it worked out uh the moon or the music machine sold okay but it didn't sell that well it's it's the best reviewed of all of them um but i didn't have that same luck because i kind of didn't understand how that uh, how that luck had played into the game doing well, I don't think. Um, so it didn't sell that great, and started kind of feeling a bit panicky, because, well, I'd quit my job. Um, so I think that's about the point where I started tuning pianos on the side as well, uh, to help make ends meet. And I made the fourth one, which was A Wolf in Autumn. Um, and I'd made all these within the space of like a year. Uh, so I was really burnt out by the time I was working on a wolf and item. Um, and I, you can see that in the finished game. It's, you know, it's probably got the most flaws out of them. Uh, but I just kind of made that as quickly as possible, uh, hoping to reproduce that luck. Um, I did release it and tried to do the same thing with the Halloween sale. Um, and it kind of worked. It didn't, you know, it didn't take off like the moon sliver, um, and it sold, I think, even less than the music machine did. Um, and then at that point, you know, I was burnt out and I decided I'm just going to take some time and um, make whatever I want. You know, make some prototypes, figure out what I want to do next. And Dusk came out of that. And it just so happened that about the time that we were starting to run out of money, um, you know, the, the games just kind of weren't weren't paying the bills anymore. Um, that's when I just happened to send a build to Dave, not even thinking that he would publish it. I didn't even know he published games. Like, New Blood wasn't a thing on anyone's radar. It was just this thing that he had with, like, his friends. Um, I just sent a build to him because I saw that he was a guy who worked on Rise of the Triad, or, like, the Rise of the Triad remake, and he was, like, a guy on Twitter. And I'm like, well, maybe he'll tweet about this. And then he was like, hey, why don't I publish this? Um, so, and that, that luck hit right when it's like we needed, you know, the money to, to start up and then of course after that um after that it hasn't really been an issue because <laughs> dusk dusk has done pretty well um and i'm sure there's gonna be plenty of other lucky breaks that will have to happen in the future for me to keep doing this job you know and from from what you're saying yes you know uh luck you know and not not to not to speak down to to what you've done at all um but you know, it sounds like luck really has been in your favor. I, I, yes, there's, um, definitely. there's a quote that, uh, a quote that I've always liked, and it's "Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity." And um, I had to look it up right now while I was talking. I believe it comes from from someone named Kevin Davis. Anyway, um, I've always liked that quote because you know it it's it's not just writing luck off as just this this chaotic thing that that's there. It's you know you're you 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 put all this time in you you prepared you're like you're you're there and it's just you know who knows about the who knows about the inner workings or the behind the scenes for 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 everything you know for, for the halloween sale it just it stacked up and that was the opportunity and such but for like new blood you know it you know, who knows about the inner workings there but it the opportunity was there when he saw it and was like oh hey you know this is a thing we can do and you know it paid off for you and I, at, at that same time, you know, Dusk kind of came out, depending on who you ask, um, Dusk was kind of the forefather now of, like, the retro FPS games coming back into into vogue, like, being a thing that, that exists. And, you know, it's it's just the amount of... Yeah, the timing of it coming out was extremely lucky as well, because if I... If Dusk released now, it wouldn't have done nearly as well because now the now the market's pretty saturated with those same sort of games. But when Dusk came out, there weren't really that many. <laughs> exactly, and you know, not not trying to downplay you know 
all the other, you know, your preparedness for this. It's just, you know, the amount of luck is, is fantastic. And I think it's a yeah. great thing that you were able to, you know, get lucky because, you know, it's the, the, the retro FPS, you know, boom, you know, to, to some people, they would, you know, fight to, to say that, no, you're the, you're the dusk and you and, you know, everything is the reason it exists. And it's, Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just a fantastic thing to 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 mention. Sorry. And... Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very I am very lucky. <laughs> now, and it's something I try not to ever forget. It's like, you know, I've th- this has happened because I I am good at some stuff, but also because of luck, not just because I'm I'm awesome. Yes, exactly. Now, and again, not to not to downplay any of that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I I apologize for this next question only because I saw recently you said on Twitter that you know you don't you don't really like giving advice. Uh, however, or Gosh, any more yeah. advice <laughs> anymore. However, um, based on your experience with everything, do you have any advice for those maybe seeking to get into the industry? If not, or if luck, you know, find how to be lucky is the, the short and long of it by all means. Um, but whatever you'd like to share, if you're willing. Um, so, okay. So there is nuance to, to that. I do like giving advice when, when it's stuff that I feel like is actually going to be useful in helping someone prepare. Um, I really don't like talking about like, uh, like I, I don't like tr- having to give things like here's, uh, you know, pointers of how to, how to get into the industry or things like that. Cause honestly, it's like, nobody knows the indie, uh, you know, being an indie developer is like, it's, it's und- even though it's, we think about it as having been a thing for a while in the, in the grand scheme of like creative mediums, it's undiscovered. You like it's you know uncharted territory, still, um, and there is no like here's your bullet pointed list of how to get into doing this as a job and how to be successful at it and all this stuff. Um, and what you're referencing is I got I'm not I'm not gonna say what the specific thing was because the person ended up finding my. <laughs> Finding my tweet about it and knowing it was about them, which was not my intention, but it's very frustrating for me as, you know, I'm not the most experienced indie dev in the world, but I do have a lot of experience at this point, Um, and it's very frustrating to see on Twitter um, other developers who really don't have that much experience to bring to bear, or don't have experience doing this doing or succeeding at the stuff they're even, you know, they're trying to give advice about. And they'll just be out there saying this stuff. Being like, oh, you know, that you should do this, or you should stop doing this, or whatever. And it'll just be bad advice. It'll be, like, destructive, you know, just wrong advice. Um, And that's really frustrating for me, because it's, you know, it's harming smaller, greener devs who are just starting out in what is a difficult industry that is probably only going to keep getting more difficult as time goes on um so all that being said (laughs) um i do like giving advice about kind of like mindset or things to consider if that makes sense i really don't have much to say about like here's the specific things you do and this will help you succeed but i i do have stuff about like uh for what for for example um, you know, being cautious about how you interact with your community. Uh, like, I think it's, I think it's very important to keep a healthy relationship with the people that you're selling games to. Um, and what I mean is that, like, you know, you'll see developers on Twitter that just are constantly going off about how horrible gamers are, or they're finding, like, you know, a negative review, and they're like, uh, screenshotting it, a negative review of their game, and they're, like, screenshotting it and tweeting about it and just, like, venting to other developers and, you know, going on these rants about stuff. And um, that's really... So, for, practically speaking, first of all, like, that's not impressing the people you're trying to sell the game to. Like, that makes you look bad. And 
sort of more like psychologically speaking, that wears you down. And I know this because I've been there. Like I was that angry person for a while. Um, and it just, it makes it so that um, you start to hate what you're doing. And like, if you hate the people you're making the stuff for, and you don't really have any desire to bring them joy with it, that's going to come through in the games you're making. Um, I'd also say that, like you said, um, you, you have your favorite quote about luck. Uh, mine is that um, luck is a function of persistence. Um, which is that I'm not going to tell anyone you shouldn't spend years making a big game in an all or nothing bid for you know having that work out. I'm not going to tell you not to do that because it could work. Dusk was kind of that and it did work. Um, but I think if you're going to choose, it makes a lot more sense to me to work on a lot of smaller games uh, that don't take as much time to make instead of you know, going all in on a single big game. Like, you know, keep at it. Keep making games. I think it's important um, to not just think about, oh, I want to get into the industry, but be very active about, you know, I want to make a game, so I am going to make a game. And you sit down and you, you know, you learn how to make the game, you make the game, uh, you go through all the trouble involved with that, and then you release it. You don't spend, you know, spend five or six years polishing it until it's perfect. You get it done, you get it out there, you get people to play it, and you um, you listen to what they say, uh, even, even if sometimes it's stupid, um, and you consider it, and then you apply all that to your next game. And, you know, that uh, I think that's... Um, if you're going to choose a way of trying to break in, I think to me that's the one that makes more sense is uh you know keeping keeping at it making smaller things and not doing what i've i've seen some other developers do which is you know put a, uh years of their time and you know a lot of money into a project and then release it and have it bomb because well when they started the project maybe it would have done well but by the time they finish it um the industry which changes just on a yearly basis you know it's just always changing uh by the time they finish it you know everything's changed enough where it's like it's not going to do well anymore you know if uh edmund mcmillan made super meat boy um and had spent a bunch of time and released it in like 2016 instead of uh, instead of when he did it wouldn't have done well at all because you know um anyway that's the that's my uh yammering about about that well thank you for for that advice and you know i i understand completely what you're saying and it's it's very much in line with what a lot of other developers say and you know i'm not and as i as i like to say for that as well it's it, it's it's always fantastic to hear the consistency um that is more or less mm. shared from from a lot of different people because sometimes Sometimes people just don't like to accept that, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the de facto answer. And, you know, every now and then you'll see right. someone argue with it. It's like, oh no, just go for broke or whatever. And then you, you know, you just, you get, you work on something for like six years, you get burnt out. Um, or you have like the, you have like the Duke Nukem effect or a game that you'll mm -hmm. probably be even more familiar with in this regard, uh, the stalker effect where, it started on like DirectX four and released on like DirectX eight <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Oh boy, Dev Hell. Exactly, right? That game was Yeah, it's amazing that game ever came out. It really, really is. Um now, David, to 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 move away from that, to to maybe go back mm -hmm. a couple years, a uh, couple years in quotations here. Um, did you have a favorite game as a child? And I know you did touch on Mist, so you know, if it's missed, we've already covered it and we can, we can move on. But did you have a favorite mm -hmm. game as a child and what was it about that game that made it your favorite? <sighs> so Mist is the obvious answer. Um, and that's what I would, that's what I would say now, like looking back, it was like, well, my favorite game was Mist. I'm not sure what I would have answered at that actual age. <laughs> um, not sure if it would have been Mist or if it would have been something else. But yeah, Mist is the one that like looking back now, um 
the one I have the most memories of. It's the one that affected me the most. Um, it's the one that I still, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting next to a, like five different mist posters right now uh, <laughs> in my office. So yeah, mist. Well, that's, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a wrong answer. Well, let me phrase that. There isn't really a wrong answer, regardless of, you know, thinking back to what it would have been 10 years ago versus today or what have you. But, you know, right. uh, mist did a lot of stuff. It started a lot of, a lot of different, you know, it kind of kickstarted a genre. It, it did a lot. So I think a lot of people can can easily relate to Mist being, you know, a favorite, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, the crazy the crazy thing about it is, and I don't think a lot of people realize this, but at the time that Mist released, um, I don't know if you remember a few years back, but there was, uh, like, the hot button issue was walking simulators. And there was, like, people <laughs> who were like, these are not real games. One of the only things that I ever really, uh, like, was really felt uh, John Bain, uh, Total Biscuit, was, like, uh, really off about, which is his whole platform for walking sims, is he was like, no, these aren't real games, they shouldn't be called games. I was like, no, no, that's dumb. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a huge big thing, but when Mist released, the same exact thing was being discussed around Mist, and there were people that were like furious about it, and were like, "I don't want games to go in this direction. If this is where games are going, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm done with them." Uh, which is kind of is kind of crazy to think back on. You can see it though, like when you play it. If you think of, you know, it was the the two biggest games of that time were Mist and Doom, and that's like that's a huge gap, but in what those games do. Yes, exactly. And you know, as you were you were you were mentioning that, it made me realize as well. Narr like I those kind of games were very reliant on, you know, pushing buttons, clicking buttons and, you know, the walking quote unquote similar aspect. But they they leaned heavily on narrative design and I don't think that was something that I'm not I'm not any an expert on this, so I'm not going to claim that this is the the real case, but you know, Narrative design, I don't think really was a thing then, or as a concept was a thing then, but those kind of games really pushed everything being, you know, everything having a purpose, you know, and mm -hmm. meaning to tell a story. And, you know, outside of a lot of obvious reasons, I I honestly wonder where where we would be without the games that Myst inspired back then and today even, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, you had like, uh, you had RPGs, but in, I mean, in 93, I don't even, I'm not as, I'm not really a RPG expert. I don't know what the, the state of them were at that point in 93. This was right, 93, right? Yeah. So it was the same year as Doom, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, it was like a, it was a, a, like a big step in terms of video game storytelling um at least for at least for the games that i'm you know i kind of know about again i'm not really that solid on where uh crpgs were at that point and you know i'm i'm not an expert on that either but you know yeah you know they're the 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 landscape was very different then and you know i think you're right is that you know, it's, it's, there were very, it, things weren't really as widespread in where they were going or what people were willing to do or able to do, at least mm -hmm. in North America. You know, you look at Europe where they were doing like Amiga and Commodore stuff and all of that was just a, a giant homebrewing, I don't want to say mess because that infers like some form of, of negativity, but it was just pure, absolute, just people doing all sorts of crazy stuff that it's just chaos. Yeah, chaos, exactly. I think that's a good way for it. Now, huh, yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, if you're ever if you're ever curious, um they feel free to look into that. I'm no I'm no expert, so I'm not going to I'm not going to try and get into explaining that, but uh the 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 personal computer, quote unquote, in terms of like the Commodore 64 and all of that, um like MSV type stuff that Japan would have had, um North America didn't seem to explode with it, but Europe was massive as far like from my understanding, and they okay. they went wild like you know um they would sell magazines 
And that magazine would be like, hey, you want to play this game? And it would give you the source code and you would have to manually type out this all this stuff. Or Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely bananas in the grand scheme of, of it, from my understanding. And like I said, I'm no expert, so I'm not going to sit here and try and explain it to you. Uh, but I would encourage, if that sounds interesting, to, to look into it. Because, yeah, it's absolutely, it's just wild to... to look at what was happening you know on the other side of the oceans yeah that is interesting i might have to look into that now you you kind of touched on on this one and i'm i'm going to make a jump and i apologize if my assumption or presumption is wildly off but would it be safe to say that one of the things that makes games or gaming enjoyable to you is is immersive sims um yeah i've i've always really liked um systems in games which is weird because so many of the games that i've made are not systemic like at all um like all the the horror games and stuff but yeah i've uh of course at the time they you know i didn't know they were called immersive sims but all the like looking glass software stuff and deus ex and all that um was was like huge for me when i played them and you know it's i i you know i i myself also didn't really know what immersive sim was it wasn't until just recently i actually learned what that that mm -hmm. genre descriptor was i never really paid it any mind you know like for for stalker for example mm -hmm. um i I personally sat waiting for that one as, you know, the first announcement at E3 back in, like, I don't know, 2002 or whatever. Um, and I would stay up late going, you know, dial up or what have you, watching the, you know, letting those videos load where they were talking about how you could shoot through certain materials and all of that. And, you know, just how it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And it was, mm -hmm. it was one of the first games that I personally went out day one and bought. Uh, which to me now is just hilarious because the first the first prince of stalker uh, didn't actually have any authentication so they provided you with a cd key that you would put into the authenticator but when the authenticator uh -huh. popped up you could just hit enter and away it would go there were no issues <laughs> really? yeah, online play offline play whatever like the authenticator did absolutely nothing it that's very on brand yeah yes yes it is you know in <laughs> In hindsight, in hindsight, it is you know, it's right on the nose for 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 the game, but yep. <laughs> but like Stalker was, I think the game for me that cemented that I liked that genre, um, mm -hmm. and you know with with the mods that have come out for it, and you know the next one coming out, um, you know it's it's great that more are coming, but it's also great that immersive sims are becoming more of a focus of of things only because right. it's you know it's 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 a lot to nail down i as as you probably as you probably know you're you're you know helping yes. work on gloomwood <laughs> which is as i understand it is an immersive sim or at least in some way shape it or is. form yep it's a it's a mashup actually of uh, immersive sim and survival horror which you know, I I'm not gonna. I should have known that better, seeing as I I did speak with Dylan some time ago about Gloomwood. <laughs> um, not to try and name drop, just saying that's on me. I should have known better. Um, mm. but it's I think it's great that those games are getting more attention, are becoming more you know yeah. of a thing, just because I I you know Stalker was several years after Deus Ex when I played it, but I'm mm. I'm very much looking forward to. The future of those games and you know when we might get to the era where deus ex games are more prevalent in the the indie scene if that makes any sense yeah there are like it's i think it's coming and you can there are some of them i know like uh you know when we started when new when Gloomwood started as a New Blood game, um, Dave, Dylan, and I all discussed that we felt like um, all three of us felt like that was the direction things were going. Um, 
was we were going to have a bit of a, a miniature indie immersive sim boom, and I think that's starting to happen. It's not going to be huge, I don't think. Just like the the retro FPS, you know, the indie retro FPS boom uh, hasn't actually been that huge. I know I think people think it's like a a bigger than it actually is. Um, but I, I think we're going to have a little miniature, you know, lots of indie Deus Exes and Thiefs for a little while here, which will be cool. Definitely, you know, I, I look forward to it. I think others do as well. And only because I just just thought of this question. Um, do you think at any point we're going to get into a weird revival of Slavjank games? Um, in some ways we're... Well, I mean, Slavjank, uh, Slavjank transcends era... You know, there was Slavjank in the in the nineties, it was there in the two thousands, in the twenty tens, and the you know, it's always been there in different forms. Um and I think that I think that there's maybe a little more appreciation for it now than there used to be. Um which is awesome. You know, that you got games like um Hrate, uh, which is Personally, that is my personal favorite of the modern uh, my my favorite non new blood like retro FPS throwback. I adore that game. Um, you got and you got like Civi, you know, making a point of of covering the janky games, which I appreciate. Uh, so I think there's more. There's definitely more appreciation for it now. Whether we're gonna see people deliberately making games like that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm always influenced by Slavjank. You know, I uh, if if I had any artistic integrity, uh, Dusk Dusk would have been much more Slavjank than it than it actually was. <laughs> yeah, you know, all all very fair and valid points. Um, but yes, you kind of did touch on it. That I think my question really was more towards if if we'll see intentional Slavjank. But as you also said and covered, I think, it's not really a thing that's tied down to a, a certain era. It's just yeah. it's just a thing that exists. And whether mm -hmm. or not intentional or otherwise, it's it's it exists and it'll probably continue to exist. And you know, I sure hope so. Yeah, ex I love me some Slavjank. Right, I mean now it's sort of, uh, it's sort of the uh, the dark era of Slavjank because it's mostly turned into um, shovel steam shovelware. Steam shovelware is like the new Slavjank. Uh, but maybe we'll maybe we'll get back to the glorious days of you know cryostasis and stalker and <laughs> games like that. You know, and that's also something I didn't take into consideration. So thank you for pointing or reminding of that. Now, Dave, David, you did touch on on some of this, and uh, I'm if I if I might, if you're okay with answering, I'm I'm curious about outside of games. You know, what other kind of hobbies do you have and enjoy? Um, well, yeah, I touched on the. Of course, I I write music. I um. Um, I, sorry, my brain just blanked out. Uh, I write, uh, like, books, stories a little bit. Um, I like going geocaching, although since I live in Northwest PA, I can't do that for part of the year, because, you know, the ground is covered in snow. Um, I like just going outside and taking walks. Uh, of course, when I'm taking walks, I'm usually thinking about projects, so I don't know how much that counts. Um, <laughs> But uh, let's see what else. Gaming, obviously, uh, and then just the the normal the normal human stuff: watching movies, uh, chewing food, you know, <laughs> those sort of things. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, as you as you said, you have a wife and two children, so you know, I imagine in some way, shape, or form, you also enjoy spending time with with your family. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, I, I, I should say that depends uh, what mood my my oldest daughter is in. Uh, if she's if she's in the if she's in the mood where um, where she's you know having a meltdown because she can't find her other shoe, I <laughs> uh, don't enjoy it quite as much as as other times. Now I apologize. I am thirty four and childless. I can't really give 
any kind of advice to that. I've actually been told by numerous coworkers that I am not allowed to give child, you know, rearing advice. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I wish there was something I could say for that. However, I have been told time and time again that any advice I offer for children related to children, I should not have children based on, on what I think should be done. <laughs> and I don't say that because it's violent or anything. It's just, you know, patently bad advice <laughs> it's just not good <laughs> no no and you know for example um I, I i i feel i can share this one because for me i thought it was a brilliant idea and uh, a co-worker of mine was talking about how his wife was out running errands or something and he had to use the washroom and his like three-year-old was being a three-year-old and he couldn't couldn't yes. you know he couldn't take her his eyes off of her and my best suggestion was to just put her in some overalls take her into the bathroom hang her on the towel hanger and do his business apparently <laughs> that is horrible advice and you know i'm i'm sure there's a lot of people that could explain it and you know there's you know but this isn't really a child rearing podcast so i'm I, i'm i'm just gonna keep going with i don't understand why it's bad advice but i'll accept that it was you know well i feel like there's a there there's you know what the uncanny valley is right yes yeah, so I feel like that principle applies to a lot of things. The, that idea of a bell curve, where like, um, you know, and and I feel like that there's a there's a bit of a bell curve here, where like, um, the further into parenting you go, like like you get far enough into parenting, and you're like, wow, that's horrible advice and terrible, and then you get even further into parenting, and you're like, yeah, that would probably work. <laughs> it's it might be it might be the kind of advice you take and consider on your second or third child just not the first basically <laughs> yeah exactly well for uh, so first of all second children are uh are uh bat i i can't say the the word but they're like they're insane second children are nuts we have a our second child is two and she's just a she's just a little gremlin we love her and she's adorable and sweet but she's like She's into everything, and she's maniacal, and, like, the first one was just sweet and a rule follower, and this one is just, like, you know, she's, an, she's a little imp, and that's, that's where you're like, okay, the hanging them by the overalls doesn't sound like the worst idea in the world. <laughs> so, you know, thank you, David. I feel a little vindicated <laughs> hearing this, just because um, it gives me hope for the, the nonsense I might pull if I ever were to have children. <laughs> Um, anyway, I digress. Uh, now, David, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, however, you know, okay. if there was anything else you want to discuss, you know, cool game, uh, what else you're doing, you know, there's, I'm assuming there's always a lot of stuff that you're doing, or just something you yeah. feel more people should just be more aware of, you know, the floor is yours as well. Please let everyone uh, know okay. where they can find any more information about you, because I'll also include that in the episode description for you. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, everyone needs to play End of Dias. It's this, it's this indie game um, on Steam that I found that had like 30 reviews, and it's one of the most fun things I've played in a while. Uh, let's see, what else? I mean, there's a whole bunch of games everyone should play. I think that I'm, as I've gotten a, uh, a platform, because of my, you know, my terrible, terrible tweets, and because of Making Dusk, um... I've become more and more like passionate about this idea of discoverability and trying to help other smaller games uh, get 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 known to people. So I'm always going through Steam and trying you know find trying to find these like really obscure games that deserve to be boosted, and that's one of them. Uh, and it's just it's fantastic. And if you like Link to the Past and you want a first person Link to the Past uh, that that you know that to explore it's it's that um let's see as far as my stuff uh iron lung is coming out on march 10th and iron lung is a short uh short dread driven horror game it's a submarine horror game if you're afraid of the ocean this is the game for you um it's a it's a game where you go down into a ocean of blood in a tiny submarine and you can't see anything. So there's just stuff around you that you're hearing. Um, and I've been told it's pretty spooky uh, by people who have played it. So that's coming March 10th. 
Um, Gloomwood is coming sometime before the sun fizzles out. <laughs> uh, hopefully. If it if it releases after the sun fizzles out, well, I mean, there won't be anyone around to really yell at us for that. So, um, let's see what else. And then, yeah, if you want, to, if for some reason you want to uh, follow my Twitter, it's at duskdev. And there's a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of poop posting that goes on <laughs> on my Twitter. It's not. Do not follow me for um, insightful developer commentary or anything like that. Um, and I also have a Steam Creator page, which is just if you search, if you click my name on anything on Steam, or if you search David Samansky, you should be able to find it. Awesome, and thank you for all of that. I will make sure all of those things are you know are included in the episode description and right. uh, when it comes to end of end of dice i actually i i i saw that you were talking about that and it i saw you know it spawned off a few other people talking about it so i you know i i i really like what you're kind of taking your uh popularity i don't know the right word i i apologize i forget the word you used even God. though it was like seconds yeah, platform. ago platform platform there guess. we go um, yeah. I think that's a great thing that you're doing because, you know, I from what I've seen of 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 end of Dias, I I I think it looks fantastic, and I'm you know it's it's on my list of things to eventually get to because um, you know an ever growing backlog. It's it's you oh, you want to tame right? it right before you before you jump too heavy into some other things. Yeah, but I I I appreciate that you you shared that. Because you know it's it looks fantastic, and I I just think that's a great thing to do. To you know you you have a platform that can be used for both good and chaos. <laughs> yeah, I kind of use it for both. <laughs> um, but which I you know far be it from me to to say anything about. I I am personally a fan of the absurdity of chaos and where it can all go. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. Being able to to see these neat games that other people find is fantastic, and you know I look like I said I look forward to when I do have time to try End of Dias, and you know uh, thank you for 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 you know throwing that out there because without you doing that I'm sure myself and many others would never had seen that and potentially missed out on a, a great experience. Yeah, it's it was just sitting there. Someone actually. Uh... I, w I didn't find it organically. Someone just, um, someone recommended it to me because they're like, hey, you I know you love, like, exploration in games. Well, this game's really good at, you know, has some really good exploration. And it's just sitting there with, like, 30 reviews, and it's one of the, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's heartbreaking sometimes because, you know, you can't, you know, there's always going to be some game out there that deserves more, uh, that that deserves you know more players than it actually has, but I feel like if you know if everyone kind of does what they can to try and discover stuff that's hidden, you know maybe we can we can save some of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I I understand what you're saying, and you know it's 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 unfortunate that a lot of the discussion surrounding hidden gems today is about you know like hidden gems from like the super nintendo the 64 the, the whatever 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 it's never yeah. about modern hidden gems it's always about older hidden gems and it's yeah, that's true i had never thought of that but yeah you're it's, right. it's just unfortunate that you know it's we're not quite there to to have things to to push that and you know steam next fest started today and i i yeah i'm gonna go through those i think I think what Steam is doing, what Itch also does, I shouldn't, you know, disregard Itch, I shouldn't disregard GOG, because they do similar things, so does Humble, and, and mm -hmm. you know, ev everyone, more or less, the big, the big uh, multi-publishers, I'll, I'll call them, um, they all have their own way of, of doing it, but it's always great that they are, that they're doing that, and not just, you know, hunkering mm -hmm. down and calling it a day, because, yeah. realistically... Steam is, Steam is actually, I, uh... I know there there's debate about, you know, there's too many games on Steam <laughs> and stuff. Um but I really think that they're what it seems like they're trying to do and they've haven't always been 
you know, completely successful at, but they're, you know, trying to uh, put a lot into, into like, discoverability tools and stuff. And those tools aren't perfect, but they're, like, they're the best on any storefront that I'm aware of. Um, just the number of options you have for discovering games on Steam if you're if you want to. You've got your queue, they've got the interactive recommender, and then you could just, you know, go out into the, the wilderness yourself and you have all these options for how to sort games and how to exclude different tags and stuff. It's very robust and it's you know, it's not perfect, but I think that approach is the best one because realistically speaking, there's always been too many games. Um I think some people have a a bit of a um, uh, rose-tinted goggles for like the glory days of you know, when you could release a game on Steam and you'd you'd make millions of dollars. You know, any game that released on Steam. Uh, the reality was, though, as someone who was making indie games during that time, um, there weren't any less games being made. It's just all of that stuff was going, like I said, on new grounds or whatever. You, you know, it was just a lot of people making games and not having having no expectation or ability to make money off of them. Um, I think we're in a far better position now where it's like, yeah, the playing field's been level and that, you know, there's definitely challenges there. But at the same time, I go through my discovery queue and I find these, you know, uh, I, I've kind of trained it a bit at this point where it shows me obscure stuff. And I'll regularly see games where it's like, oh, this is a neat looking game. It's not really for me. I'm probably not going to look at it, but you know, it looks competent and, or even ones that don't even look that competent. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't look very good at all. And they'll have like 10 or 15 reviews, you know? So that person who back in 2010 or, you know, two, uh, 2007 or whatever, uh, they would have gotten nothing from that. That person put it on Steam and they got, I don't know, a few hundred dollars from it. Um, that's awesome. You know, that's a huge, uh, that, that's a huge adv advancement over what we had only, you know, a few decades ago. Uh, even though, you know, it does, it is, you know, hard to get noticed or for a game to really get to that point where it can be super successful and all that stuff. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that is largely something that I I agree with. You know, a lot of what you've said, I've I have also said over the many years, or you know, the last couple years at least, where Steam has put more effort into doing such things and you know making their discoverability queue, uh, some of their other recommending systems that you can find through labs, Steam Labs. There we go. Um, you yeah. know, all, all of that I think is just fantastic because the the way that I always not to go off too much of a tangent because I want to let you go, but um, but one of the things that I always you know when people would complain to me about Steam that I would always say is you know you don't you don't go to the dairy like you don't walk into Walmart or Target or wherever and go to the dairy section to get milk and then sit there going oh I'm gonna wander through the milk section and see what's new in ice cream you know you're going for milk you're most mm -hmm. likely gonna get milk get out. Um, the only time you're, you're going to idly walk through is when you're like, well, let's see what they have. I feel like ice cream, but I don't know what ice cream. And then you wander through the ice cream. And that's, that's how I've always viewed steam. And it, to me, they've been leaning into that same kind of mentality where if you want to go looking for a puzzle game, you're going to go to the puzzle genre and you're going to casually go through puzzles. You're not going to go to, you know, the, the first person shooter game section and be like, oh, there's no puzzles here because, you know, that's typically not how your, how your brain works, how you, how you're wired. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, yeah, sorry. It's a, a bit of a, a roundabout way to, but just saying, yes, I understand what you're saying. And I, I agree completely. And it's, I, I'm happier for it because you were, as more games are coming out, it's harder to know what you might want to look for. And sometimes mm -hmm. you just don't find those things unless you go casually looking or steam in the form of the discovery queue goes, Hey, stupid. Do you want to play soccer? You go, well, no. And then it goes, okay, well, what about this? Uh, the, you know, this, this new retro first person shooter game. You go, Oh, well, there we go. You know, it's, it, it, it does it sometimes in weird ways as, Anyone who follows you on Twitter will be well aware of. 
but, <laughs> but at least it's a. St it's like, why are you showing me so many hentai games? I've never played a hentai game. Like, why? Why am I getting like weird? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I won't get into it. <laughs> yes, I, I understand completely where you're, where you're coming from. Um, that is a whole separate conversation. That yeah, not the time nor the, the place. system isn't perfect. Is what I'm yes, saying. Exactly. <laughs> But but anyway, David, as I was saying before, you know, I agree completely. And but I do want to let you go. You know, it's it's almost 10 o'clock and, you know, it's I'm sure you have an evening you would like to decompress over and everything. <laughs> so if there wasn't anything else you wanted to uh, to throw out there to discuss, I will definitely let you get on with your evening and, you know, just relax. OK, yeah, I, th I think that's about it for me. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to keep you here any longer. So, you know, thank you again, David, for making time to have this conversation with me. And thank you for joining us on the Red Tunic podcast, as well as this. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, awesome. As well as a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of music from the title track from Road Steep. And if you like this podcast and want to support it and help it grow, please subscribe or follow me on Twitter at Red Tunic Podcast to receive the latest episodes and news. And be sure to share it with those you think might also enjoy it. Thanks. And until next time.